0: A mind that is stretched by a new experience can never go back to its old dimensions. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child.
1: Welcome back to Adult Child.
0: Welcome back to Adult Child where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. For any new listeners, I'm Andrea. I'm an adult child. I'm a recovering alcoholic and shit show. And you're either going to be a big fan or not. Uh, I am an acquired taste and that is a-okay with me. So today we are diving deep into a topic that I have been dying to dive into since I launched this podcast, Psychedelic Assisted Therapy. And Katie is back today to share her experience with this. So in 2019, I went to this symposium pertaining to this topic. So there's this guy named David E. Smith, Dr. David Smith. He founded the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic in 67. So this was when the counterculture of the 60s was going on when thousands of young people were moving to San Francisco, many of which needing, you know, medical, substance abuse, mental health treatment. He even revived Janis Joplin once when she OD'd. So every year he puts on this symposium, addiction related. And in 2019, the focus was psychedelic medicine, technology and conscious recovery. That's actually where I found TJ. That's where I saw him for the first time. But, you know, I knew that this research was going on, but I didn't know much more than that. And I was just absolutely blown away at the, you know, the results of these studies, in particular, the results related to treating PTSD. So there's so much to talk about here. As I was prepping for the episode, I just kept going down the rabbit hole. Uh, So we're going to unpack this over multiple episodes, but I want to give a little bit of the backstory as far as psychedelic-assisted therapy. So in the 1950s, scientists realized that the molecule of LSD looked very, very similar to the molecule of serotonin, and that LSD was a very powerful tool to learn about the brain. And this resulted in 20-plus years of studies and years of government and private funding research, which was showing some really Promising and compelling results, one of which being that talk therapy, normal talk therapy, is actually a lot more effective with the addition of a psychedelic drug. But then the cat got out of the bag, meaning that LSD got out of the lab and people started using it recreationally, which led to Congress in 1970 passing a law making LSD and other psychedelics illegal. But this also resulted in a halting of all psychedelic research. Now, there was some pushback on this from people who were aware of the compelling research and studies going on. Even Robert Kennedy, Senator Robert Kennedy. I thought this was so interesting. So I guess his wife, Ethel, had uh, received LSD. So he launched this congressional probe into why psychedelic research was being stopped. And he's quoted saying, Why if clinical LSD projects were worthwhile six months ago, why aren't they worthwhile now? I think we have given too much emphasis and so much attention to the fact that it can be dangerous and that it can hurt an individual who uses it. Perhaps to some extent, we have lost sight of the fact that it can be very, very helpful in our society if used properly. And so it would be 20 years until research in this area would resume. The first grant was approved in 1990 to do a study on DMT, which is the chemical in ayahuasca. And so this kick-started the psychedelic research again. And especially in the past 5 to 10 years, there's just been so much going on in this space. And so there's a ton of active studies going on now using psilocybin, LSD, MDMA, Uh, related to a really wide range of subjects, depression, addiction, chronic pain, eating disorders. Uh, I couldn't find any substantial studies on childhood trauma in particular, but there have been some pretty compelling findings related to PTSD. Uh, Actually, Bessel van der Kolk, who's the author of The Body Keeps the Score, he is a really big advocate and proponent for psychedelic therapy. So I'll include a bunch of different things in the show notes if you want to dive deeper into all this. But as I said, we'll, this will not be the last time we'll be talking about this. I'd really like to get you know, a doctor or a researcher that's doing this. So I dabbled in some psychedelics uh, before sobriety. I did LSD a few times. I took mushrooms a few times. I always projectile vomited when I took mushrooms. You're welcome for sharing that. But Uh, Katie asked me when we were talking off air, she asked me if this is something that I would ever be interested in, this psychedelic-assisted therapy. And what I told her is that for me, I'm more interested in it from a spiritual perspective. You know, I've heard all of these profound spiritual experiences that people have had, and I deeply desire that, you know? And I've also heard that it helps with the The fear of death, which is something that I struggle with. So, you know, I deeply, deeply desire to have this profound spiritual experience. But it's like, is that truly, genuinely my intention? I think that it is. But it could also be my alcoholism or my addiction trying to sneak in the back door. It is a sneaky motherfucker. That's kind of the risk for us if we're sober. Would that launch into a relapse? I'm all for it for people who have tried to get sober for years and years. Tons of treatment centers can't get it. I am all for doing this, for trying it out. But for somebody who is sober, I'm not necessarily trauma treatment resistant, but I deeply desire to have a spiritual experience. There actually is a recovery group or community called Psychedelics in Recovery, Um, And so I've kind of read some about what they say about it. I'll include that in the show notes as well. So now to Katie. But first, I want to give a shout out not to my newest Patreon members, but to my future newest Patreon members. Hey, you. Yes, you. You've been wanting to join the Patreon. You keep putting it off for one reason or another. How about you stop doing that? And sign up for the Patreon right here and right now. And give me a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. Thank you much.
2: I had taken a full dose, which is five dried grams.
0: One pill makes you run. One two makes you small. And the ones while mother gives you don't do anything at all. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> She's before, yep. you. The truth of the matter, my dear shit shows, is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from ADHD. I myself got diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done. Now, let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Take a free one minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one click refills, insurance coverage, and 24 7 care team support with done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit getdonefirstcom slash podcast to learn more. Again, that is git.donefirst.com slash podcast done, turn ADHD into your strength. So you started with the ketamine, correct? Yes. yes. Was it infusions? Mm, what did we start with? No,
2: we did. We started with lozenges um, and I did a couple of in um, clinic sessions with the uh, first. I went there and met with the therapists for them to decide if I was a good candidate for yeah, this kind of therapy. Yeah, I was kind of about that. Yeah. Yes. So I, I had one meeting with them where they decided if I was a good candidate Um, And I think I, yeah, I think I went to Portland and met with them and it wasn't even that trip that I started. And so then I came home and I, I I don't know if I did more research or what, but then I went back to do an actual, I did two, each time I went, I did two sessions with them. Um, And so I went back and I did two sessions with them, which were the lozenge under the tongue style. Um, and it was two practitioners in the office with me. And I think I took two trips there and did that. And then I was doing some at-home stuff where I would then do a phone call integration session with them. And then I went back for one more trip where it was the injection one, which is not the same as an infusion. It's like an intramuscular injection and it is fucking insane.
0: So then when you're doing the lot, you're going up there. So can you, because when I just take my friend, I feel like she's just getting infusions, but she's not doing like a therapy session at the same time. Is that what you were doing?
2: We would do, uh, we would have, you know, we would have a talk ahead of time where we would, you know, set the intention and then they would be there with me. Uh Um, because there is sort of a transpersonal aspect to it when you're doing it in a therapeutic environment, um, where they can be there to support you if you start to get freaked out. And then, um, we would do an integration session afterwards where we would basically talk about the experience and then, yeah, where we would talk about the experience and then try to like, I guess, do some planning In terms of, okay, so what are some ways in which you can support or build on, grow, develop, whatever, some of the different, like, felt experiences that you had when you were in, like, a psychedelic influence state?
0: How long did the quote unquote experience last? Yeah. So they give you the
2: lozenge. It, you know, I think you keep it in your mouth for 14 to 20 minutes. Okay. And then it, thank you. And you can sort of, you can, you can definitely feel it coming on and then uh, they have you spit it out and then you continue to like sort of go up a little bit and have, and, and have like a little bit or that the experience starts to get sort of more and more intense. And then, uh, maybe, after another like fifteen minutes, they give you another dose um and you keep that in your mouth for like fourteen to twenty minutes, and then you know maybe twenty or thirty minutes after that, you sort of come out of it, take your eye shades off, uh take your headphones off
0: so like and- about an hour.
2: Yes, I would say yes, that you're actually engaging with the medicine for about an hour. And then because I think we usually planned for like a two hour session, which included, you know, like the getting there, getting settled, setting an intention, then actually, you know, bringing the medicine on and then having time to like come out of it. And like, yeah, get your faculties
0: pulled back together. Had you had experience with psychedelics prior to doing this? No,
2: I had tried. Acid once and ecstasy once, and I feel like both a both doses were old when I took them and <laughs> b I feel like all I had the only effect that I felt from it was the amphetamines, mm-hmm. like they just made me feel speedy, like mm-hmm. I did not have any psychedelic response Experiment. to either.
0: Are you in like a dark room? Are you sitting? Are you lying down? You said you had eye shades on. What is that like? Glasses or like a no, mask? no, like
2: you know, like the mask, like when yeah. you go to sleep on the airplane. Yeah. So like one of those that that blocks out. So I would, uh, you know, laying down on the ground on like a soft mat, mm-hmm. um, with the eye shades on, headphones on, and they you know they play your the hippie music, um, and. Uh, yes lying down so what was your first experience like were you nervous I was very nervous because I had no idea what to expect and yeah like I said I was never somebody um like the quote hardest drugs i would never used was occasionally I would like take my friends Adderall um like I'd always been terrified of coke and meth and all those things because just the lack of control not interested um And so, yes, I was very nervous, but I also trusted these two people a lot. Um, They are trustworthy, feeling people. And I felt like we had met with each other enough times and I had done enough reading that I felt like I was going to be safe. Um, You know, and I'd read Michael Pollan's book and I'd Mm -hmm. listen to him on podcasts. And if Michael Pollan can trip balls, so can I.
0: (laughs) What were their credentials?
2: So one of them is an MD in order to um, do this modality, you have to have an MD. I think, I'm, I could be lying, but I believe you have to have an MD. And then one of them is a licensed therapist mm-hmm. um, who, had him, who has himself done, I think they both done psychedelic training, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which that is something that I like very much about this model is at least the people who I have worked with, they have all gone through it themselves and have used the medicine and had the experiences. So they like, they they know what you are experiencing.
0: Is there a specific name for this? So this is called this. So
2: there are two things that I've been doing. So I was doing ketamine assisted therapy. Okay. But then I, after listening to a couple of your podcasts, I was just like, I need to start working with a weekly therapist again mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. because I was just kind of unpacking this shit by myself what I was doing with them um classic was there much processing going on after we would process and when I would do at home sessions we would process maybe every couple of times that I would do it okay um but like listening to your podcast and being like I think that there is childhood stuff here that I have never really dealt with and that mm-hmm. there is there is stuff under the stuff that I have never really let myself get into and I would like to get into it. And I can't remember if it was something that you had somebody had, that you had had on, but it because I remember I think I was listening to your podcast while I was hiking and I'm trying to remember what it was that made me Google this thing in particular, but I was googling for somebody who could do, uh internal family systems attachment stuff um and somatic therapy mm-hmm. because i was like i can't do another like cbt type person i can't it do another the,
0: it was probably uh the somatic coach i had oh that could be marina
2: it. yeah because yeah. i was like i can't do more brain based stuff because when i go through my head i just stay there Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't actually get at anything. Um, So I decided that I needed to start seeing a a somatic therapist and I let the psychedelic practitioners know that. And like basically right at that exact time, one of the practitioners was like, hey, I think you might be a good candidate for trying this other modality, um, which is the cannabis based modality. And he's like, you know, it is very somatically based and it is very structured to get at sort of the the trauma that lives under your mind, Hmm. under your sort of under your rational mind that lives in your body. He's like, I feel like this is something that you that you would respond well to. So we have sort of switched tracks and are not doing the ketamine based therapy together, we have switched over to a cannabis based therapy. And when I said to the practitioner, I was just like, listen, I don't really like cannabis. Like I stopped smoking weed recreationally years ago, because it's flipped on me. Mm -hmm. And now it just makes me incredibly paranoid and nihilistic. And when I said that, then one of the practitioners was like, bingo, that's what we're after. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, I have to go into the nihilism. And they were like, yes, we will go into the nihilism. And I'm like, Oh, you say so.
0: Um, (laughs) But so, okay. Before we get there. So I want to go back to the ketamine. So Mm -hmm. this is something that you were doing where this is something that would be used for a particular period of time. It's not something that would be like an ongoing forever thing.
2: Yes. I do think that what I am reading about ketamine is that for a lot of people, it does help them come out of like super terrible depressions in ways Mm -hmm. that other things don't, but it doesn't necessarily cause lasting change. Mm. What I did notice with it was it gives me, gave me a ton more internal space where I don't feel as smashed up against the emotions that I can feel or as smashed up against, like, triggered physical responses Mm. so that I have some distance between them where I can sort of see them out. I mean, because ketamine is a dissociative. And Mm -hmm. so it's just like you can – it gives you space where you can see those things out here And you can sort of look at them and be like, oh, that's what I'm doing when I have that feeling. When I start to feel my heart race like that or my gut clench like that, that's what I'm doing there. And it gives you some distance from it so that you can actually see
0: it. What were you experiencing like visually, like when you were having your experiences, like what? Was there anything profound or can you explain what that was like for you? Sure. The way that they, and
2: the way that these practitioners, like they keep on directing you sort of back to your body. Okay. So that you're not necessarily trying to have like visuals and hallucinations, although they're like, some people have visuals and hallucinations and that's fine too. So it really is trying, I think, um, and this is more so with the cannabis, but also with the ketamine, it's basically trying to like teach you and show you a different felt sense inside your body than the one that you are habituated to. Mm. Um, And so it would give me, it gives me an, you know, like an incredible relaxed feeling, but then also it makes, it makes me feel incredibly expansive like you just have this sense sort of of immense not like it doesn't make me feel physically expansive like my body feels expansive but that there's just like this great energetic expanse all around that I can feel and then uh it's sort of like you can I can feel myself and sort of get a sense of myself like laying out felt responses or emotional responses or behavioral responses to things where I can kind of like look at them is that
0: after you mean sense? more so like then going forward like after like as you go about your daily life or in no a- that is like when i'm in in the moment okay the moment yes
2: and then i have also had sessions where i'm like i'm the river and i can like visualize that and feel that and i'm like i feel like a tree um
0: well, but that's what I was going to ask, like, the, the, spiritu- like spiritually, like, have you had, is it, is, would you consider some of your experiences as spiritual experiences?
2: Um, I don't think so.
0: Okay. Yeah. No.
2: And I, you know, and again, now working with this sort of cannabis model, one of the things that they talk about is that when you have sort of underlying stuff that you haven't dealt with yet, like just emotional stuff one of the interesting things they talk about is the way that lots of the psychedelics will sort of pass over you and mm. not actually pull you into something that would feel like a deeper spiritual
0: place. Well, that's fascinating.
2: Yeah. I mean, and there's like biochemical reasons for that because if you're in a trauma response, like if you are a person who goes into a trauma response, your basic your body Dumps you full of opioids and the opioids counteract the psychedelic.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Which when I'm doing ketamine, I do not feel like I go into like an opioid dissociative state. But at the same time, I don't feel like I get shot into a big time spiritual space.
0: How many months did you do the ketamine before you switched over to the cannabis? So you started that in in October of 2020.
2: And then I would say yeah, I would say just about a year.
0: And what note, what did you notice as far as your day-to-day life? How did it, how did it impact your just, you know, regular life? Yeah. I felt
2: like I had more not, and I'm not a highly reactive person. I think because of the family that I grew up in, I learned Mm -hmm. to keep my shit on lock. Um, but I have, I could feel, I felt less reactivity and less I felt less reactivity inside my body where I could always, you know, I could always shut the door on the reaction so that it didn't get outside of me, you know, so I don't yell. I don't get angry. I don't like have a flash temper, but cause I can catch it at the door. Um, But I felt like inside my body, I had more space and more time to decide how I was going to experience things,
0: I guess Mm -hmm. I would say hmm And so then for the, um, when you switch over to the cannabis model, so then how is that, how are you using that? What are they giving you? Is it, you know, a lozenge or, or gummy? Yeah, no, that what? one is
2: so radically different. Like I, I, de- I'm glad that they switched me over to this model. And I'm, I think that they are as practitioners, they have entirely switched over to this model. And when I asked my practitioner about it after the first time that I did it, I was just like, so like, why did you switch me? Like, it feels like we've made a sudden hard turn. I'm like, did I get an upgrade? Like, did I graduate? <laughs> like, what happened? Like, what made you think, oh, we should should switch from this to this? And basically, what happened is these practitioners just got started getting trained in this modality in May, mm-hmm. and were basically felt like they were seeing in their own training and in their practice. More results, and they were like, "We think you should try this." And so, I think they have basically switched their whole practice from ketamine to cannabis.
0: Interesting. So then, how is it? How does it work? Are you still going there for in-person yes. sessions? Or and this one, home? I would not try
2: on my own because okay. it's a it's a lot.
0: Um, okay. Let's hear it.
2: <laughs> so basically, you get a vape pen. They can't provide it for you. They provided the ketamine, but that was because it is a prescription based substance. You have to bring your own cannabis because it is there is a retail market. And basically the law is that you cannot use it in a therapeutic. They the, your therapist can't provide it in a therapeutic session because they don't want there to be any conflict of interest where maybe a therapist has a deal with a retailer mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and is somehow making money off of the sale of the cannabis so you got to bring your own
0: is so is it recreationally legal in vermont and in maine yes Mm -hmm.
2: but vermont doesn't have any retail shops yet okay um so i went to a retail shop in maine in portland it was very nice i thought i was going to be going into some like old 90s head shop it was not it was (sighs) a very clean clinical place uh they sold me two vape pens. They answered all my questions about the THC content and CBD content and blah, blah, blah. Did your got-
0: practitioners give you any sort of guidance or suggestions as far as like how to select what would be the best type?
2: Yes. So basically they just said to get, I don't even think they made a differentiation between like a sativa or an indica that, you know, uh, strain But what they did say is to not get one that had basically been like cut with CBD. Okay. That CBD actually inhibits the psychotropic nature of the THC. And what you want to do is not inhibit the psychotropic nature. And we had practiced doing this thing where... Uh, so the so the way that this therapy works, that the idea of it is that you basically that that humans as an evolved biological creature, we have sort of two modes of perception. We have the primary mode of perception, which is like what you have when you come into the world, which is, you know, like think about a baby. A baby basically is a creature that seems like it's on psychedelics, like it has no sense of time. It has no language it can't differentiate between itself and its care providers and its environment yeah it's just immersed in existence and it's like slowly over time it emerges from that state of just like emotions and instinct and sensory perception into sort of so like a that's a primary mode of consciousness into a secondary mode of consciousness where kids acquire language and they acquire reason and they acquire a sense of time and rules and structure. And so, uh, basically that is like how the human mind or, or the human consciousness or mode of perception functions is in a primary consciousness and a secondary consciousness, the primary consciousness sort of being underneath And the secondary consciousness being on top of and like mediating all of the stuff that's underneath. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that make sense as an explanation? Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I'm clear. And that, yeah, one of the things that they talk about is the fact that so many of the things that we think of as mental health issues are wounds that happen in the primary consciousness So, like emotional wounds. And, you know, this is why it's really tough when you have childhood stuff because a lot of it is pre verbal, it's pre memory. So, you don't really know what the fuck happened.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: And so, yeah, that a lot of what we consider to be mental health issues are things that are going on in the primary consciousness. And then, many of the ways that we try to heal mental health issues are in the secondary dealing with the secondary consciousness exactly mm-hmm. which basically all that does is it makes the secondary consciousness strong enough to continue to basically repress yeah,
0: whatever it the is. primary <laughs> yeah so then what is this tech thing that you're practicing
2: right okay so and I would like the, all of the audience to know that I am a lay person. And so I've read the white paper on how this modality works. And if you are very interested in the specifics of the details, which you should be because it's fascinating, I think that the white paper will be available in the show notes. All right. So here's the theory. And the it seems like the ba- the data backs it up. So you've got these two modes of uh of consciousness or of modes of perception the primary which is the sort of we'll call it the emotional and Uh the secondary which is the rational Uh and the one goes over the top of the other and keeps it in check um but can also do things like keep it too in check and then you get depression then you get Um, out of check (laughs) and then you get out of check uh but so the idea is like there are a couple of different ideas i guess which number one is that basically the way that cannabis as a psychedelic works is it takes the secondary consciousness off the table which i think the idea is that that's how all psychedelics work is they basically just scoot right past the secondary or and so that you gain much more immediate access to primary consciousness so the idea is not that psychedelics are creating something new. They are giving you access to something that is there that you don't typically have access a, to. Yes. Or, and at least not this much direct access uh, uh-huh, because the secondary uh-huh. consciousness is always in the way, um, thinking thoughts about it and whatever. If you are a person who has like wounds in your primary consciousness... Then basically, the idea is you use the psychedelic to get that secondary consciousness out of the way. And what they say is that many of the things that we call mental illness are parts of a what do they call it? I'm gonna, I gotta find it. Yes, I am. Oh, that many of the things that we call mental illness are part of what are a natural, quote, defense cascade, which I'm sure many of your listeners know what this is, maybe not by that name. But what we're talking about is when you are in a, quote, dangerous situation, and you have a flight, fight response, Mm -hmm. or a freeze response, Mm
1: -hmm. those
2: are defense cascades that you move through depending on the degree of threat. So- if you grew up with a sense of, you know, so I guess, so when they talk about it, they talk about uh, how there are basically four stages, starting with zero of a, def- of a defense cascade. Zero is everything is totally chill. Like you are safe, you are calm, neutral, Then like a one is something in your environment is scary. And so you move into like hypervigilance, your heart rate goes up, all these kinds of things. That's like where the gazelle notices there's a lion around. And then stage two is where the lions are chasing the gazelles and the gazelles have to run. So now we are in full flight Um, and So you have, I guess, let me see what they describe state. So symptoms of stage one are like agitation, irritation, anxiety, fear. Um, Stage two is terror, rage, sweating, very fast thoughts, panic. And then the next stage, stage three, is where uh, flight and fight don't work. The gazelle gets caught. And so now the gazelle goes into um, basically freeze mode where they are faking their death in the hopes that some last minute thing will come up where they can manage like one last ditch effort to get away. You know, like the lion gets distracted and they're faking that they're dead and the lion stops squeezing so hard and then they get away. And the, Symptoms of that are things like depression, feeling of cold, feeling fatigued, um, always tired, stuff like that. And then the final stage, stage four, is where, you know, the gazelle is fucked. It's pretty sure it knows it's going to die. It just system prepares it for death. Um, And the symptoms of that are affectlessness, dissociation from self, dissociation from body like suicidal ideation is actually a stage three response because in suicidal ideation, you're still trying to solve the problem. Mm. Like by stage four, you've gone into like hopelessness. And what's interesting that they talk about is that stage zero, total chill, and stage four actually look the same. Mm. And people who are in total hopelessness will report that they quote, feel fine Mm. because they feel nothing. Um, and they talk about how lots of kids, if they have grown up in environments that are scary, spend a lot of time moving through these stages. And that then when you grow up as an adult and you are in a safer environment, when you get triggered by things that, you know, like intimate partners wanting to be close to you, then you perceive it as a threat that you go into these like depressive states or maybe even fully shut down states. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you go into an anxious state or, you know, all of these things that were like, what is happening? Why is this happening? What's happening inside my body? Why are my emotional responses like this? I mean, you have talked about this where you've gone on dates and you're like, Why am I, like, obsessively thinking about this person (laughs) when I don't even know this person? Yes. I don't know what you're
0: talking about. You must be listening (laughs) to a different podcast.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And so, yeah, it's basically that these, like, primary responses are getting triggered that are... In a situation in which you need them to survive, Mm -hmm. you make total sense. Mm
1: -hmm. What
2: has happened is that the circuit, the system has gotten short circuited and you don't know how to get yourself back Mm -hmm. to calm. Mm -hmm. And maybe you've never experienced calm. Mm -hmm. And so you don't even know what like stage zero is. is. Yeah. But you certainly haven't had anybody teach you how to get back there Mm -hmm. from an activated state. Like I think about this a lot with my kids. They're so good at this because they go, you know, they will have an emotional reaction. They have a rage tantrum or a crying tantrum. It blows through them like a storm and then it's gone. And they are back to being, like, fully present, totally chill. And I'm just like, what just happened? Like, how did you possibly forget about that? And it's like, oh, the point was the tantrum. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that got you back. Like, something frustrated you. And in order to get back to chilled out, you had to have the tantrum or you had to cry, which I mean, I think we also know as adults that sometimes the only solution to the problem is to cry, that that's the only thing that can get you calm again. So the idea of the cannabis is you get the secondary consciousness out of the way. Yep. you, You get into, you have access to the primary consciousness, and then you sit there and you don't let yourself you focus on your body and the sensations that arise and you don't let yourself do any of your coping strategies that you have engaged over your life to get away from that um cascade so that you're sitting there you're and you do not have your legs crossed because crossing your legs is one of the ways that you can distract yourself from, like, a felt experience. And you have the eye shades on, and then they say something like, okay, what are you feeling? And, like, for me with cannabis, basically the moment that it takes effect, uh-huh. my heart starts racing. How much do you smoke? Not that much. Like, I started with
0: two hits
2: on a okay. vape pen.
0: Are you doing the intention setting like you did with the no. ketamine? No. No. You're just going in. Yeah. You
2: basically don't have to, which is crazy. Um, your body does it all, which is the point. So yeah, two hits on the vape pen. I'm sitting there. My heart immediately starts racing. And then one of the times when we had done it a few sessions and I had a little bit, I was a little bit more comfortable with what was about to happen. He's like, why don't you try staying sitting up? Because a lot of times that gives you a very strong reaction. And sitting there within 20 seconds of taking the second hit, I felt like I was going to have a panic attack.
0: You have the eye shades on or no? Yes.
2: Okay. And I've never had a panic attack, but I know that that, I'm like, oh, I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is what it feels like. (laughs) It was an incredible feeling of panic. And he's like, do you want to try to ride it out? And I'm like, fuck, no, I do not. And I laid down. And as soon as I laid down, the panic receded. The pounding heart stayed and. um, Ride it out, meaning staying sitting sitting. Stay sitting and basically move through the panic attack.
0: Okay. How does laying down that somehow moves you out of it? Yes. Wow. I think it's something
2: to do with uh, like engaging your core. Okay. That when you're sitting up and you have your core engaged, that basically, you know, I don't know about you, but I know when I get scared or freaked out, I clench my core. Yep. Um, and so that if you are already in the state where you have a clenched core, it's basically telling your body, you have a reason to panic. Mm -hmm. And so it triggers the panic. And then if you can lay down, it lets your body relax. So it's one of those things that you can do to try to get out of the emotional response. Mm -hmm. Then the other things it's like, it's called selective inhibition is what they are asking you to do that you selectively inhibit. The strategies that you have to not have these physical responses to feelings of threat. And so uh, taking a deep breath. So like in those moments when you feel like you're going to panic, normally you can take a couple of deep breaths to try to calm yourself down. You want to not let yourself take deep breaths. You want to go into the feeling of the clenched gut. Mm. For me, I like to try to think. And so uh, and that's what typically happens to me on cannabis is that I get super incredibly thinky. And (laughs) the idea is that you're not supposed to get thinky that when you find yourself trying to think your way out of it or associate or analyze or question or any of these things that you bring yourself back to your felt experience Mm-hmm. And you just keep on coming back to that and coming back to that. And it's just like, okay, my gut is clenching. And now I can feel like this clenching moving all the way up my chest and into my sternum and into my throat. And it feels like my throat is clenching and now my shoulders hurt
1: mm-hmm. and they
2: just keep on bringing you back to that. Um, and then... Eventually, what happens is once you have exhausted all of your strategies to distract yourself, physical and mental, from the experience, you, as you just focus in, oh, I guess the other thing that happens to me is I become freezing cold, shivering, need blankets, uh, in a hot room, in an objectively hot room, because my body is going into a, like a dissociative shutdown. Like I'm being, my body is dumping me with opioids. So it's like freezing, freezing, cold, sleepy.
0: Want Are they to giving you blankets sleep? or no? Are you supposed to ride that out? No,
2: they gave me blankets, but it didn't help. It's like the cold is coming from inside the house. Yes. Um, but it's like super duper cold, super duper sleepy. And which is something that happens to me when I get overwhelmed about stuff in general, I just get sleepy, Um, which is a fear response that's freeze, Um, literally. And so they basically just tell you to focus on the sleepiness. Like, what does the sleepiness feel like? Where is the sleepiness? And I'm like, it's all across my eyes. They're just like, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. And then they're like, okay, you know, what else now? Like, I'm like, I'm cold everywhere. And they're like, what does the cold feel like? And it's like, the cold feels prickly. And so you just keep on describing and like going towards the physical sensation. Were they doing
0: that with the ketamine? Were they asking you those questions or were you silent? Silent. Okay. Yes. So
2: yes, the idea of this is again, very different from traditional psychedelic-based therapies where the idea is that the person goes, they have their trip, you create the safe space for them, but it is non-interactive typically. The idea of this one is like sort of twofold. Number one, it is interactive so that they can help you, direct Mm -hmm. you back to your body. And then the second one is the idea that most of our wounding happens interpersonally. Mm -hmm. And so- our healing is going to happen interpersonally. And so there's also this beyond them constantly pulling you back to your body and your physical experience. There is also an unpacking of the transference Mm. that is happening in the room at the moment Mm -hmm. so that when they're telling me to go back to my body, they'll say stuff like, how are you feeling about us right now? And I'm like, I don't trust you. I don't think you know what you're doing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think this is fake. And so it's like all my filters are off of my typical capacity to, quote, say the right thing to make it so that the therapist likes me. Like you, yeah. And what comes out is the way that I have always felt, which is I can't trust you. Like, I can't rely on you i'm not safe i'm certainly not safe with you and they they just say yes and you just keep you just get to sort of have that experience and just go like closer and closer to it and then they say you know is there an emotion that is associated, you know like i'm like my belly is clenching and they're like can you feel an emotion that goes with it and i'm just mm. like it's so lonely mm. And I'm like, I, and, and it's just like, you have this crushing felt sense of loneliness that is like, I'm like, oh my God, is that always there? Mm. Like, is that always low grade in the background for me? And my secondary consciousness is filtering it for me. Or I'm finding ways to not feel it through sleepiness and through depression. But it's like, oh, my God, I'm so lonely. Mm. And they're like, go into that. And you just let yourself get closer and closer and closer to it. And then you, the physical feeling, it's like they say, you know, let the clenching happen. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, oh my God, what is happening? And this, it's like your gut starts clenching. And then every muscle in your body starts to clench. And it feels like you are pulling your guts up into your chest cavity. And it, and I mean, the thing, the way that I have related it is it feels similar to having a contraction when you're giving birth. Mm -hmm. which is that your body is doing this crazy thing and you are just along for the ride. Like you're not, which then I go back and forth with the therapist where I'm just like, am I doing this or is my body doing this? Am I (laughs) doing this or is my body doing this? Um, Which is, you know, its own form of resistance um, to try to make sense of it and pull it apart and ask questions and whatever. And, you know, a lack of trust of the body. But yeah, so then you just have this thing where you basically feel like you're turning into like a desiccated claw and your whole body is clenched and then it dissipates. And then you'd like fully relax. It's like you have it's like having a slow motion kid's tantrum Hmm. because you're too old and dumb to be able to do it like a kid. And how long? Um, like a minute, two minutes, maybe. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. It's pretty quick.
2: Yeah. But then you get to have more. Then they, like, you know, they direct you right back to your body. And, you know, like the first time I, the first session that I went through, I did not have any of those reactions because I was just like getting acquainted with the feeling, getting acquainted with telling my therapists I didn't trust them. getting acquainted with you know like my therapist at one point was just like what you know do you think that physical contact would feel good right now when I said something like you know I feel so lonely and I was just like I yes can you put your hand on my ankle
0: so weird that's so So weird weird.
2: (laughs) and then right I know and then he so then he puts his hand on my ankle and he's like How does that feel? I'm like, it feels like, how about my
0: shin? How about my shin bone?
2: (laughs) I'm like, it feels comforting and humiliating. I can't believe (laughs) I asked you to do that. Like, (laughs) basically, like, humiliated by the notion that someone could comfort me Mm. and that I would
0: ask. And that you would choose your ankle, I think, is more the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the humiliating part. <laughs> I'm
2: like, I can't, I can't ask for a hug. Please don't yeah. touch my ankle. It's very about my left lobe. How about my left lobe? Very, it's very Victorian. Um, but so yeah, so the first session, like basically, as far as I got was, yeah, will you touch my ankle? <laughs> now
0: we know your fetish evidently
2: uh and then we're my comfort fetish just touch yeah. my ankle but so then we're four sessions in and yes I'm like having a panic attack like a controlled experience with a panic attack mm-hmm. um so yeah I guess the idea is it teaches you how to move through all of those stages mm-hmm. and there's other stuff about how it's really hard to access the freeze responses, because it's really hard to get to you when you're dissociated because you don't actually feel anything like flight and fight. Those are easier states to work with. But when you're down into like dissociation, it's a little harder to get there, but
0: they do. Um,
2: Yeah. I mean, are you
0: going to four or it seems like maybe you're just going from zero to three? I think I just go into a three. I
2: don't think I get all the way to, although there definitely, I guess maybe when I get, so sleepy and can't feel my body that's kind of like a verge of a four where it's in like a totally dissociated state and maybe my body has given me many 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 opioids Mm -hmm. um but yeah so the idea is basically to teach your body to build pathways to teach your body that it can do this cycle Mm -hmm. and to show you how to do the cycle and that it does in some ways, like clear out some, you know, like you let yourself feel that loneliness Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: acknowledge it. And then you, I I mean, I I think what they're saying is that you let yourself have that physical response to that loneliness and then you survive it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you're not holding it as much Mm -hmm. anymore, that it becomes less acute
0: Similar to when you were doing it with the Ketamine, are you going up and you're kind of doing two sessions kind of back to back or are you just yes. doing one at a time? Okay. No, this
2: was two sessions back to back, which what they did say is like if I lived in a place where I could do it, they would do it more like traditional therapy, which would be like on a weekly basis.
0: Okay. Um yeah. so how many days in between? None. It's two it's two days day. in a row. Two
2: days in a row. Yeah.
0: And how often? Monthly? No, I've only done it
2: twice. Okay. Um And I, again, because we're in this fucked up pandemic, I mean, maybe I would go every couple of months just because of like family stuff and travel stuff and life stuff. But yeah, with the newest stage of the pandemic, who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, But I do feel like working with a somatic therapist that this, the doing the cannabis stuff basically is in some ways like a... It has just helped to jumpstart some of the other somatic stuff in terms of me being able to like get at things through talk therapy, through somatic talk therapy that I couldn't get to otherwise.
0: Have you, I guess through this and then combining that with the somatic therapy that you're doing, has there been any significant revelations or significant changes that you've seen within yourself is maybe as far as, um, thought patterns, behaviors, emotional reactions. Yeah. The biggest thing that I have, that I want is I would like, you know, because
2: when you suppress any emotions because of the bad ones, you suppress the good ones too. The biggest thing that I want is to be able to teach my kids a a felt experience of life's joyfulness. Mm. Not an intellectual understanding that life is joyful and meaningful, which is sort of where I feel like I've been, mm-hmm. but a truly felt experience mm-hmm. that life is joyful and meaningful.
1: Mm.
2: And I feel like I have gotten, I've had a, that I'm sort of starting to peel back and get more access to my emotions, which is allowing me to be more present with my kids in a playful, joyful way. Mm -hmm. So I have totally noticed that. It's amazing. Because yes, all I want is to really believe that life has meaning. So then when I say it to my kids, they can feel that I believe it. And I think that belief lives in my body, not in my mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and then
2: the second thing is then I, I'm like, oh, my God, I think I had a breakthrough that is related to therapy. Um, and it is fairly mundane. It's that I am the manager of my women's indoor soccer team. And because of this recent surge in COVID, I withdrew my team from the league for the second session while we wait to see what the hell is going on, because so many of my players are moms. And I had told the person who runs the facility that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to pull a team together and you know, that I would let him know. So it was very last minute. I mean, it was last week, but I wrote, and I was just like, listen, with this recent surge, I can't, I can't get a team together.
1: Mm-hmm. And he
2: wrote back and was like, but we organized the schedule with you included. And I was like, yeah, sorry, none of us foresaw an Omicron surge or the highest numbers in Vermont that we've seen throughout this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Like what are you going to do? And normally what would happen for me is I would be able to do the thing that I think is the right thing, but you wouldn't feel okay about it. My insides would be going crazy. Mm-hmm. I would be able to pretend it wasn't happening, but I would have a racing heart. My Like my, I wouldn't be able to breathe. I would be sweating and freezing and like just going nuts and no physical response when I sent it to him. And I also didn't have Mm. the impulse to apologize, like to just so be like profusely, profusely like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, can you please forgive me for this pandemic? Like blah, 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 blah so needing to make sure that I was responsible for his emotions. And I was just like, yep, nope, I'm sorry. It sucks. Right. Done.
0: When I think about adult child recovery, like that is what recovery looks like. Yeah.
2: And I have never had that experience before.
0: That's not mundane. It's huge.
2: Oh, well, thank you. I guess it was a huge thing that was revealed to me through a mundane experience. Yes. Yes. I did not know that that existed.
0: Within you, yeah. Yes,
2: as a thing, yeah, that you could do what you thought was right and not have a roiling internal felt experience that you were just pretending wasn't happening for the outside world.
0: Well, I have to say this is probably one of my favorite conversations I've had so far, so. I really enjoyed this. Oh,
2: Well, you have had so many amazing conversations, so I take that as a real compliment.
0: Yeah, this has you. been really... I would love to talk... If, if the people that run your... that The clinicians ever wanted to... I'd love to interview them. If For would, sure. ever something they're interested in, so... I will definitely talk to them about it. I'm curious about, like, people... What about, like, you weren't, like, a big pothead. I, I wonder, does that somehow... <sighs> play into the effectiveness of it. If somebody is a frequent marijuana user, I wonder if it would not be as effective. Right.
2: I do think that, you know, as with all psychedelics, it's set and setting makes such a big difference. Because I can say as somebody who is not a big pothead currently, I've had stages of my life where I was a big pothead. And so I know the difference. Yeah. And it might as well be two different things that I couldn't even call it in the ballpark of what I have experienced in the past. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm also curious
0: too what they do as far as for somebody who does have addiction issues. I wonder how that plays into the process of deciding whether or not this is the right treatment for somebody, you know,
2: I imagine it's risky. It's the same with, you know, people who have like uh, psychotic um, episodes. I think it's not right. You know, they talk about that. They, you know, that they just, they're not quite sure that, it's the right modality for people who have psychotic episodes and mm-hmm. um, same for people who have like personality disorders, that it is something that can have success. You know, they're like, we've seen it have success with people with personality disorders, but it's dangerous.
0: Yeah.
2: But I will yeah. send you the, I'll send you. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, that white paper. I think you would find it fascinating. I know I will. Yes. So, and if you want to, yes, I will. T- I'll try to get you in touch with them, and then if you yeah, want to talk to about it more, to. more, I'd be happy to. Yeah, for sure.
0: Cool. Well, this cool. has been lovely. Where can people find yeah. you?
2: Oh, that's right. So on Instagram at kt mather. Okay. Oh, and people should check out my novel that debuted that I had no feelings about, um, <laughs> which is called "Rage is a Wolf," which is about a teenaged girl, white girl, living in Chicago who thinks that the Earth might really be screwed and school isn't teaching her anything to fix it. So she talks her moms into letting her drop out of school to write a post-pandemic mass extinction sci-fi novel.
0: I thought you were going to say who thought the Earth is actually flat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I did not write a flat Earther novel. What about your podcast? Oh, right. And my podcast is um, outofcuriositypodcast.com. And it's out of curiosity with Katie Mather. And you can find it on Apple or
0: Spotify
2: or Or wherever wherever you you find wherever you find
0: your podcasts. (laughs) Wherever you're listening to this right now. (laughs) You can find my podcast there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome. This was really fun. I really appreciate
1: it.
0: up today's episode. Uh, as always, I hope you were entertained and I hope you learned something. Thanks again to Katie. That was really great. Go check out her podcast and her books. Next week, I am talking to Elroy Powell, aka Spoonface, aka Spoon the Voice Guy. Go look him up. You are in for a treat with him. So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Adult Child Pod. Uh, you can DM me. You can email me at Andrea at Adult Child Podcast. I love to hear from you. Um, and I think that's that's all, guys. I am so grateful for you all. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Um, And I'm going to be seeing you next week for another awesome fucking episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super raw. It's going to be super wonderful. And I'm super, super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie. I promise.